you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at laist.com sweeps. Start your Saturday with something that will grow your kiddos' brains and get their creative juices flowing. Join us at LAS in Pasadena for a morning of multilingual readings, interactive performances, and lots of kid fun. It's Super Fun Saturday on June 1st. Get your tickets at LAS.com slash events. LAS Studios. Welcome, everyone. This is Retake. I'm John Horn. Who can forget that rap? That is Jeremy Strong playing Kendall Roy in the much-loved HBO series Succession. With a one-hour and 30-minute series finale airing this Sunday, we're bringing you an extended version of a conversation I had with Strong at the Directors Guild of America last year. He spoke at length on the craft of acting and how he gets lightning strike moments, as he puts it, in his scenes. Plus, later in the show, if you like the ensemble in succession, I'm going to highlight some of their earlier work in movies, maybe some things you've never heard of. But first... It is time for my weekly entertainment news chat on Elias 89.3 Morning Edition with host Suzanne Watley. John Horn, good morning. Good morning to you as well. John, I know there's something other than the Writers Guild of America strike that we want to talk about, but first let's discuss the WGA work stoppage and where things now stand. Two words, not great. There are no talks currently scheduled, and the sentiment around town is that this could be a long strike. And, you know, things could change in a minute. We could be talking the same time a week from now. There could be a deal. I think the odds of that happening are slim because the Writers Guild members that I have talked to have said, they are not optimistic. Yesterday, a screenwriter who has been involved in WGA negotiations in the past told me, quote, at first I would have said July. Now I think it could be a lot longer. And that last strike lasted 100 days. The WGA is planning a rally for tomorrow, and it's a gangs all here kind of an affair. It is. They've invited a lot of guilds in solidarity to march downtown, uh, intersection of Figaro and 12th, so near the convention center. According to the Writers Guild, they've invited members from the American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees, Teamsters, Service Employees International Union, which includes healthcare, home care, nursing workers, public service workers, the United Teachers of Los Angeles the American Federation of Musicians. So a lot of different guilds have been invited, and I suspect a lot of different guilds are going to show up. All right, that's tomorrow. The strike also is the talk of Boston? Yes. The Writers (laughs) Guild is finding friends in unexpected places, like at the graduation ceremonies at Boston University. You want to be successful, you're going to have to figure out how to get along with everyone. And that includes difficult people. Some people 
Yeah. So that's David Zasloff. He's the CEO of Warner Brothers Discovery. He was there to receive an honorary degree and speak at the Sunday commencement. But as soon as he started talking, the students started yelling things like, pay your writers, which you heard there. We don't want you here. And other niceties like shut up Zaslav. Uh, And he frequently, as you heard, had to pause during the heckling. Now, Zaslav's company, Warner Brothers Discovery, is a key member of the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers. That is with whom the Writers Guild is negotiating. And so far, you know, there is no movement by the AMPTP. One thing I should add is that screenwriters are saying one of the issues in the negotiations is they can't make as much money or a living as as they did before. Zaslav, on the other hand, over the last two years, has taken home $285.9 million. His company's stock price over that same period has nosedived. So Warner Brothers Discovery shareholders are not doing well, but David Zaslav, he's doing okay. And thousands of now former Warner Brothers Discovery employees are maybe not doing so well either. Yeah, and they have their stock that's fallen 65% over the last two years. So yeah. they, they have that. Lots of layoffs this year there at that studio. So Netflix has also been in the news, John, but not because of the writer's strike, right? Right. Now, Suzanne, I know you're a trustworthy person, and you would never go through a supermarket express line with more than 10 items. (laughs) What? But you might (laughs) just hypothetically share your Netflix password with people who might not be in your home. That might be true for a lot of people. It is not true in the Horn Linda Burrow household. I should add, my wife works at Netflix, so we are definitely in compliance. But Netflix said this week that it's going to start to crack down on password sharing. In the past, they've encouraged it, but now they realize it's costing them billions of dollars in lost revenue. So people who have users who are outside the primary account holder's household are getting emails saying, we would like you to pay $7.99 more a month for those users. Now, whether or not people will do that immediately, how many people might quit the service is to be determined. And if people don't pay that extra amount of money, listen, I think Netflix can figure out very easily where those people are and how they're using shared passwords. So the next step might be not as kind as the letter saying, please pay seven ninety nine more a month. So we'll see. So no longer it's at Netflix and chill, it's Netflix and Bill. Yeah, I think that would stick. Maybe Netflix <laughs> will take that as their new branding opportunity. Thanks so much. My pleasure. After the break, Successions, Jeremy Strong. The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at LAS.com sweeps. Start your Saturday with something that will grow your kiddos' brains and get their creative juices flowing. Join us at LAS for a morning of multilingual story times, interactive performances, art making, and lots of kid fun. Bring the whole fam and join us for a super fun Saturday at LAS in Pasadena on June 1st. Tickets at LAS.com slash events. See you there. Now, 
That's my friend Nick Bretel's great score for Succession. Jeremy Strong won an Emmy for his part in Succession, and I think it's fair to say he might win another for scenes like this at the recent funeral of his character's father. He made life happen. He made me and my three siblings. And now people might want to tend and prune the memory of him, to denigrate that force, that magnificent, awful force of him. But my God, I hope it's in me. Because if we can't match his vim, then God knows the future will be sluggish and gray. Jeremy Strong has also appeared in films like The Big Short and Parkland, where he played Lee Harvey Oswald. He has a reputation for taking his craft very seriously. And that's what I found talking to him. First, I should say I'm very much in awe of many of the actors that I get to to work with. Um, And I feel inspired and invigorated by them. And then I just have a great desire to, to give... You know, actors are givers in a way, and, and I love that about them. And, and, and they tend to be quite open, vulnerable people, and I, and I love that also. So it's a, it's a tribe that I've always felt at home in since I was a little kid doing plays. And theater really is about that ensemble. Film can be sometimes, um, but it can also be a, a bit more of a solitary thing and a, and a bit more about autonomous uh, concentration. Um, but whatever you're able to do as an actor is really a result of your scene partner because the beginning and end of acting is listening and you're hanging on to that moment with, with your scene partner, like you're hanging on to a precipice really, because you don't know what will come next and you don't know how you'll respond. So everything depends on what they're giving you. And I think in turn, what you give them, uh, uh, gives rise to the next moment. So, so it really is a, a completely connective thing, that elastic band between, between two actors. The rehearsal process on a play can last a month and then there's yeah. stress, there's tech, there's blocking, there's all sorts of different kinds of rehearsals. In a film, you may not get that. You might have a couple of hours to do camera blocking. You might not. You might have a chance to run lines. You might not. Even though they're radically different, is there a way that you can transition from one very different medium to the other without it affecting the way that you're able to work? You know, it's funny. The truth is, I haven't done a play in about 10 years now. And I think I would find it very difficult to go through a rehearsal process because, um, because I try to avoid rehearsing whenever possible at all. Uh, I think the, the sort of magical thing about film is that you can actually capture the moment where you make the discoveries and you can actually capture the moment when you're first making tracks on that slope before there are any tracks at all. And in a way, in a in a theater process you're just, you're making all those discoveries and then in a sense you are recreating them again a sort of facsimile of those discoveries and and what is what can be sort of pure about about cinema and the idea of 24 frames of truth per second which which sort of is the ideal i guess um is that you can you can at least come approximately close to that 
do you know when it's happening? When you go into a scene that you haven't rehearsed, you know the lines, you know what the scene is Sure, about. you're prepared. Right, you're and you prepared. start at the beginning, and then you essentially see what happens. Uh, and you don't know. I mean, I think, I think it's, it's a really vital part of it is to not know. There's something that I read in a book about the painter uh, Munch, Edward Munch. And <clears throat> it said that fundamental to all creation is that it is not about transferring something one possesses and wishes to express, but rather about what is expressed emerging as something in itself. It must not exist beforehand, but come into being in the moment it is expressed. So I think that that's an amazing it's certainly true of painting, in some painting, look at Pollock or something, but I think, it, I think when acting is great, it, 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 it's sort of about that idea, uh, the thing, the lightning in the bottle. I would just ask that you take care of me, because uh, if Dad didn't need me right now, I don't exactly know what I would be for. You want to talk some more? I, re I really can't. But, uh... Thank you. Lori Metcalf once told me that there are projects that come along where the material is so clearly something that moves you, you have to do it. Yeah. And sometimes there are projects that come along where the group of people who are making it are people that you want to be around. I think that's right. And very rarely do the two happen yes. at the same time. Yes. And I and you know, and I'm and I'm very aware of how fortunate I am sort of intersectionally of those two things to be, you know, the television show I work on. A lot of the films I've gotten to do have, have, have had both of those things. And, and a lot of that is a choice in terms of just really trying to be patient and waiting for a very narrow sort of strata where, where those two things meet. I want to ask you about early teachers. And maybe they were acting teachers, but not people who talked about technique. You know, Stanislavski versus Grotowski or yeah. No or whatever. Yeah. But about teachers who said, this is the artist's job. This is the artist's responsibility. This is the artist's opportunity. Did you have teachers like that? You know, in a way, I started doing plays when I, when I was, I don't know, four or five or something in a, you know, in a, in a recreational way, but it quite quickly took over my life. So before there was any sort of theoretical understanding uh in a way i think theoretical understanding is for the birds anyway when it comes to this stuff um i outpaced that with just doing 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 by the time i had teachers i'd already been doing theater for almost 20 years um but they i think radically altered my understanding of what was possible and as you say what an artist might be capable of doing you know i read widely and voraciously everything I could get my hands on. I don't think I understood, to be honest, a lot of that stuff, you know, those got the great t teachers. Um, 
But I had a teacher, I spent a summer with the Steppenwolf, speaking of Laurie Metcalf, with Steppenwolf in Chicago when I was an undergraduate. And I, it, it was a really profound experience for me. And, uh, and I met a, a guy there named Austin Pendleton, a great actor <clears throat> and a playwright and a director. And Austin, who had been Phil Hoffman's teacher and who is a really beloved person in the theater community in New York, he taught at HB Studio on Bank Street and classes were like, you know, 25 bucks or something. Cause that's, and that's all I had. And, uh, and, and Austin talked a lot about, you know, how the, how you can't summon flame. You have to rub two sticks against each other and locating the need what is the need? What is the engine? What is the need that a character comes into a certain situation with? And then really installing that need in yourself and pursuing that need, you know, till death do you part, really. And, and, and if a scene is well written, you can go after that and you will meet with obstacles and, and, and you know, that something will emerge from that collision. There are generally moments in an actor's younger life or younger professional life when they get something that changes their perspective. And there's two things that might change. One is that actor can say, I can make a living at this based on a certain role, certain part, certain paycheck, I guess. And the other one is not measured in those kinds of terms. It's that I can do this, yeah. that I have a talent for this. Did those things happen to you and did they happen together or separately? Wow. I think, I mean, I'm 43 now, and, and I, I think I'm only for the first time, and it's still a precarious feeling, feeling like I might be able to make a living doing this. And, and so I don't know that that one is has that happened. true humility? Or, or, no, that's true. true. That's okay. true. Uh, Most people would say, um, you can. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think, I think it, it still uh, genuinely, honestly feels like such an impossible thing to actually get to do. Uh, and I know so many great actors who don't have the opportunities that I have. So I'm very, I don't take it for granted and, and I work very hard. The first one, you know, I think I recognized that I had a, an, a, an ability to do this. I think I always felt like that ability maybe was limited, uh, but I had a great desire to push to break my own sound barrier in a way. And it wasn't until I did a play by a great writer named Amy Herzog uh, at Playwrights Horizons off Broadway. And this is about 10 years ago. It's the last play I did. It's a play about unearthing uh, buried trauma in this character's childhood. And what do I, how do I sort of put this into words? I think until that point in my life, I had, I had felt like I had an ability as a performer and that I could perform plays and perform parts. To me, any acting that is really worth it, something and that has affected me in a, in a profound way is, is not about performing, it's about being and, and, and lived experience that is real experience that you're really watching someone live through. And I guess that play brought me to the, for the first time, uh, to an experience of that, 
which requires a certain risking of the void because you can't, as Austin said, you can't summon flame. You can't generate emotion. You can't, you can't will those things into being. Um, and so that extra step for me of risking that, uh, uh, failure really, uh, taught me a great lesson that I've carried into the work I've done since then. But that was a big moment for me. The finale airs on HBO and streams on Max, formerly known as HBO Max, this Sunday. Coming up, the cast of Succession has done some other work. I'm going to highlight some of their film roles, including some things you might not have heard of. As a farmer's son from a desert region in California, J.B. Hamby thinks a lot about water. I spent a lot of time digging up history, particularly about water, which is the origins of the Imperial Valley. How this 28-year-old became the youngest lead negotiator on the Colorado River ever. And how he could shape the most consequential negotiations to date. Listen to Imperfect Paradise, the Gen Z water dealmaker, wherever you get podcasts. Hi, I'm Tracy Thomas, host of One for the Books, and we are back for another round. This is clearly an NPR audience. (laughs) I think they're so smart. What the hell? My guests this time are actor Vela Lavelle and author Amanda Montel, whose new book, The Age of Magical Overthinking, is out now. Join us on May 15th at the Crawford Family Forum for book talk, trivia, and hot takes. Tickets can be found at laist.com slash events. We are headed into Memorial Day weekend. You might want to go see a movie. My suggestion, don't see something new. Check out some of these older films that star members of the Succession Ensemble. Let's start with Brian Cox, who plays the late and great Logan Roy. I would check out his work in 2002's Adaptation. He plays a screenwriting teacher. The movie's directed by Spike Jones, stars Nicolas Cage. It might be one of the best screenplays ever written by Charlie Kaufman. People are murdered every day. There's genocide, war, corruption. Every fucking day, somewhere in the world, somebody sacrifices his life to save somebody else. Every fucking day, someone somewhere takes a conscious decision to destroy someone else. People find love. People lose it. For Christ's sake, a child watches a mother beaten to death on the steps of a church. Someone goes hungry. Somebody else betrays his best friend for a woman. If you can't find that stuff in life, then you, my friend, don't know crap about life. And why the fuck are you wasting my two precious hours with your movie? Kieran Calkin, who plays Roman Roy, had a movie that came out that same year. It was called Igby Goes Down. It was written and directed by Burt Steers. It co-starred Claire Danes. He doesn't play a likable character, but it is a likable film. Turtle. He was my best buddy. Then his rifle backfired and blew his face off. We all learned a valuable lesson about weapon maintenance that day. Why didn't the school inform me? Wasn't the school's fault. They were great about it. Pay for the dry cleaning and everything. Matthew McFadden, who plays Tom Wamsgans, has a small part in a really good movie called The Assistant. It's from 2019. It's a film by Kitty Green about a Harvey Weinstein-like character. Matthew plays an HR person 
chilling, devastating performance. And Jay Smith Cameron, who plays Jerry Kelman, has worked a lot with writer-director Kenneth Lonergan. I would highly recommend 2000's You Can Count On Me. Thanks for listening to Retake. If you don't have to work on Memorial Day, have a great holiday. I'm John Horn. Retake is produced and engineered by Michael Cosentino, Monica Bushman, and Taylor Kaufman, who is also my session director. The editor is Suzanne Levy. Listeners like you help make Retake possible. So please donate now at elias.com forward slash join. And thanks. Support for this podcast is made possible by Gordon and Donna Crawford, who believe that quality journalism makes Los Angeles a better place to live. Elias Studios operates within the homelands of the Gabrielino Tongva people. We recognize the painful history of displacement, settler colonialism, and erasure of the people, their language, and their sovereignty. Visit Elias.com slash land for more information. We encourage you to get curious about the land on which you live and work. Alleyist has a new live event series with the James Beard Foundation. We Are Where We Eat will go behind the scenes of some of your favorite L.A. restaurants to find out how and why they do what they do. I'm Austin Cross. Join me for the first event where we'll explore how restaurants help make a neighborhood and we'll all have something delicious to eat afterwards. It's May 22nd at the Crawford. Get your tickets now at LAS.com events.